Hello, and welcome to the latest installment of the um, prelude uh, to my uh, novels that are offered on Amazon. Um, the prelude titled um, Life Before the Alien Magic. This is part three of episode three, um, The Birth of the Three. Uh, but, but before I begin, I'd like to um, encourage you to listen to um, a podcast made by a couple of friends of mine um, um, uh, titled um, More Fan, Less Critic. Um, they take a look at really bad movies and uh, critique them in a funny way. It's, uh, check it out. Um, so, let's begin. Another scouting party, queried Dag of the priestly-clad dwarven cleverlites. The dwarves sat clustered together, like ash-colored stones containing the hot embers of a campfire. Yes, they do not hide the fact that they, they are keeping tabs on us, hounding us, tormenting us, just beyond our sights. They have captured, all told, Seven of our finest horses severed their heads, placed them on pikes, fallen just short of sounding a trumpet. What's next? Slay us while we sleep? Worse, take our books handwritten by Cleverell? Why don't we fight back? We are dwarves. All of us dwarves. Glenn bellowed loudly, and he struck his chest with his fist. They must respect us. Yes, we may be of a religious inclination, but that doesn't mean they can abuse us like they do. We are brothers, after all. We can trace our line back to the same father. Yes, and Mother Earth. The twenty-odd dwarves nodded and grunted and exhaled blue smoke through mouths clumped on their pipes. They never tired of the featureless, polished gold coin they passed between them, waxing nostalgic, responding to their unfed greed. We should tap the, the same vein, the, the vein deep inside, a common vein. We extract it, we craft it by our own skill, a skill we hold selfishly, which we have killed some of our own to protect from being revealed. We uphold the words of the one King Ansel, the words that will allow us to overcome our difference and allow us dwarves of the different houses to be reunited once more. Who will listen to the one father, the first king, if not our brethren dwarves? An elf was among their number. He had entered their circle like a phantom before the others even acknowledged him. They jumped, they scrambled for their weapons, disarmed by the one dwarf Brokill who laughed spontaneously and heartily. Beg my pardon, stated Captain Prenhook of the half-elves, cradling a bundle in his arms. We have the same intentions. The two of us can work together. We can help. Uh, we, you can help us establish a nation of half-elves, while we can fight alongside you to create a state of clever light dwarves. Just hear me out. What's this noise, snorted Brokehill. The elves and the dwarves are never on the same page. Never. Why should we listen now? You talk spring flowers and waterfalls. 
We dwarves, I tell you, there is no common ground. We're always digging beneath it. Captain Prendhook smiled. You confuse our kind with the full bloods, but we do have a common enemy. We do. Who might that be? queried Zeb. I hate the half-breds only slightly less than the full bloods. Captain Prendhook walked the circumference of the grunting, swearing dwarves. I have something here that must be of value to you. Will you hear me out? Unless you got a whore in your arms, I'm not thinking you could address my own interest. What do you say, brothers? The dwarves inhaled on their pipes and nodded their common agreement. Their eyes glazed over, perhaps thinking of the murder of a human or the rip of a human, even if they condemned the acts as criminal and they sought penance for them. I hold the one thing the half-elves would want to fight for. We can use you, the clever lights, initially to fight and defeat the common dwarves. I know the Matri dwarves and the Serum dwarves hold mighty kingdoms in the east, but what about the clever lights? The common dwarves have amassed wealth. They have stolen technology that makes them the envy of every race in the east. But you have lost everything. They hunt you down. They seek to kill you, thinking you an embarrassment. Yes, persuaded Brokill. Our brothers are smart. They built such structures as Sturm and Mikmok and Brendel. There is no defeating them when the dwarves are contained within the stone walls. When they, are, when they are armed with their mar marvelous weaponry. My king has assured me you will have a kingdom unto yourselves, but you must ally with us, and you must keep a secret. Keep a secret for us until we are strong enough to usurp our own king, the king of the half-breeds. The exchange we will help defeat the mightiest race in the Abyssinian. We will fight and defeat the dwarves. What well, one city of the dwarves must fall if all the dwarves are to become clever lights? What do you think? asked Captain Prenhook, as he amused, his hand stroking his chin, a steam driven rotor dripping a steam driven rotor stripping veins of of coal. Which one of the three kingdoms must you see defeated if your victory is to advance your cause? To unite the dwarves as they have not yet been united since the first years of the Abyssin, at the expense of the other dwarves inside their walled cities. What if we can turn two of these kingdoms against the third? Stick worked a blade into his palm, testing the calluses. The dwarves, after centuries of bloodshed, the most amidst fighting their own, have learned a few things, including how best and win best to defeat their brothers. No one would say it. Sturm, being the first built, is the most vulnerable of the three. Why? Because it was built when all the dwarves considered themselves of the same tribe, of one race, of one blood. There were no secrets, none among the engineers, none among the scientists, none among the soldiers. The dwarves talked. Sturm had, has its weaknesses. Its walls can be breached, its technology can be exploited, its secrets can be exposed. Captain Prenhook nodded. Okay, so we target Sturm. What if I told you we can use the dwarves' jealousy and stubbornness and pride against them? 
What if we can isolate Sturm, separate it from Mi'kmaq and Brindle, and defeat it, all so that you can d displace them and own their kingdom in your own right, one step closer to making all the dwarves clever lights? That is what you seek, after all, isn't it? That all dwarves respond to your message and seek to become clever lights? This generated much talk among the dwarves. They all turned to the one dwarf among them they respected as their lord, finding confidence in a machine that ran smoothly and without flaw. I'm listening, answered the dwarf Lord Bren. You might, how might you help us help you? The dwarves exploit the human lords for their, own, for their wealth, for the gold and oil and minerals and slaves and the food they labor over. Mankind has always hated the dwarves, but they have never had the means to wage a successful campaign against them, not unless we can crush one of their kingdoms and work to subvert the greed and lust of the others. What do you intend? asked Brokill. We do despise our selfish murderous brothers behind their stone walls, and clever lights have a unique place in their hearts for humanity, compassion for those humans so badly treated by the greedy, zealous, xenophobic dwarves. But our ana animosity is all we have. That has no teeth. You may have half-elves. You may have humans. Though I am not convinced you do. But we won't be breach Sturm. Not without dwarven soldiers or dwarven engineers. Those who know a way into Sturm. A means of defeating Sturm's weapons. How can you turn one dwarf against another? And by that I mean the common dwarves. I know what will isolate Sturm, swore dwarf Lord Linden. I know how we can recruit the knowledgeable dwarves, those willing to give up the means of compromising the defenses of Sturm. How? asked Captain Prenhook. The secret. A silent pall fell over the entire campsite. The secret? What do you mean? queried the half-elf. Like where all Sturm's gold is hidden, nor what the weaknesses are to their machines? Dwarf Lord Bren twirled his braided beard between thumb and forefinger, and answered thoughtfully, Oh no, much more than that. The secret. The secret. The identity and fate of the first Dwarf Lord. The one king of the United Nation of the first generation of dwarves. King Ansel. Some say his bones are hidden deep within the treasure chambers of Sturm. Others say he lives still, waiting to reveal himself, riding out ahead of a mighty army against that, their many enemies. Others say his only son lives within Sturm. Some say coddled, others say imprisoned. Others say living in an, as a nameless hermit, until which time it would be prudent to reveal himself and unify the dwarf nation like it once was back when the dwarves first left the tit of Mother Earth. Some say he never was, maintained Shtick, created to justify the rule of each of the dwarf lords. Leg smiled. Who knows the truth? Maybe only one dwarf, maybe no one at all. Dwarves are notorious when it comes to truth. They fear it more than hell itself. But what you say goes against everything Cleverell has ever written. Does it? Isn't that the one hope of us Cleverlites? that the one true king of the United Nation of the Dwarves reveal himself. The Dwarves from within Mi'kmaq, from within Brindle, they will stay their hand. 
They will share their knowledge. Why? Either to force the upper, the higher-ups in Sturm to disclose what they know of the true demise of the first dwarf lord, or to have him, him to have himself or his offspring materialize, exit Sturm at the front of a dwarven army, and challenge the threat of their kind, disclose the knowledge of the secret. So be it, insisted Captain Prenhook. We will fight with you, the half-elves, some magic wielders, the humans, to seize Sturm. Only hide this child from me. Only hide this child from me. The war of the races has begun. The dwarves of the kingdom of Sturm will suffer the first salvo. We'll take their technology and make use of it against the elves. At the end of the day, the outcasts, the humans, the clever light dwarves, together with the half-breeds, will own the Abyssin. And with that said, there was a cheer from among the priestly-clad dwarves. For the first time, Cleverell was dismissed, and old appetites and old crimes revisited. A mottled, bright, colored ribbon of misery expanded the length of the aches. The priestly dwarves reveled as night fell. Many tore their garments and renounced God. They threw their Bibles containing the teachings of Cleverell into the many bonfires. They took license in being dwarves again. Others indulged themselves in lavish foods and ale. Others raided the nearby village of humans, killed the males, and raped the females. Fires erupted in the villages up and down the Aix River Valley. The orphans of the villages of humans refused to cry. They solemnly took hands and remained silent, a chain that could not be broken. Isolated shouts of anger and distress could be heard, like loons crying out. The children congregated on the road, leading north, then east, and they made their way toward a city that respected and cared for orphans, a city that promised them care and the need for vengeance, a city named Bluestone. As the moon passed in front of the sun, Jewel found herself cradling an infant. It had been deposited there in the witch's arms, as she sat in the vast chamber carved out of granite atop Mount Ish, musing on how best to conquer the world. The child chuckled. The child read her. He played with her hair as if it were a tapestry. He plucked at her flesh as if it were coarse leather. He delighted in her. He drank her in like nourishment. How much of the child was Jewel? I don't know what I must do with you, swore Jewel. Regarding the child with hostility, it had been put upon her quickly and quietly, like any curse, even thorny, prickly fear. Who would entrust a child to you? asked Clotus, approaching his flowing gowns, whispering as they washed over the polished stone floor. Certainly no one who knows you. It's an elven child, the first I've ever seen. Any elf born of an elf is what the full-bloods most certainly fear, as the first-born fear for their liberties, should ever a full-blood be born. There is talk of a new race of elves being established, one which does not suffer from pride and bigotry and complacency. They are always targeted within hours of their birth. Why has the child been delivered unto us? required Tisiphone, 
unless it looks to benefit from a war of the races that most certainly will happen if this child is allowed to come to age is allowed to come of age there was a mad glint in sanford's eye he was touching his wife and sister obscenely and cruelly we can use him it is why he was given to us after all isn't it to rule over the saplings we keep the we keep the kid in our back pocket we own the saplings after we slay the elder elves this child promises something more something to us convinced exitor the elimination of the elf nation the elves have fought to destroy us for centuries should we enlist the help of these young saplings those willing to recruit us those willing to fight beside us and this against the elder elves then i'm thinking we can end the dominance the elves have enjoyed and live in a world of parity with a new race of the saplings Belfasor interjected it's a test we give this child over to the elder elves we enter into a peace with the elves the quiet and the unseemly elves and fight the saplings the saplings don't fear us the saplings if they are to survive must fear us and with that said lillian descended upon the witch with the child prowling like a stalking cat and looked directly into the infant's eyes searching for something identifiable in the child something like fear or contempt something she could address and make use of she asked why have you been delivered to us what message do you represent by being sent here i am rigor the noble races are a part of me answered the infant without any semblance of doubt or fear with a confidence uncommon to all newly born he continued they make me what i am my flesh and my blood i want to know what i am who is there to tell me that i am but a creation i am empty a shadow a lie god the true god does not hope to exist as long as i am alive creations are not free as long as i live what do you say will it be you i must listen to what do we do with him asked felix he's a threat he's a threat to our kind most of all isn't it obvious asked insel we kill him we take a blade and we end him no replied algernon the high wizard a knife won't do it there must be another way the god delicately and masterfully unhinged the witch's clumsy grip and jumped down from jewel's arms finding foot rests in nooks and crannies that allowed him to reach the, poli the polished floor. He toddled up to Belfasor. Look at you. I know your son. He hides in plain sight. A child adopted by two that served the king of the kingdom of Dalton. The child slumped to the floor, claiming the fortress with every step, reaching, seizing, defeating everyone who was fearless and arrogant enough not to respect the, the wizard. Belfasor winced and recoiled, his tongue flickering, tasting the dangerous atmosphere. I have no son, he convinced. I would kill him if I did. I need no liability. Enough of this, Sanford mustered a ball of green flame and, with a shout, unleashed it.
but the ball of gas spun violently upward, striking the porticos supporting the dome ceiling. The god came in close and whispered, You do. As the witches and wizards looked on, disarmed for the first time and fearful in one another's company, where their magic was apparently defeated, where each one was held hostage by the toddler's knowledge of their secrets. With trepidation, young Rigor turned and slithered unerringly toward Lucius. You have nothing on me, barked a chuckling wizard, an expanding wildfire without the threat of expiration. No, queried the boy. You have a bride. She sits on a throne, a throne you enforce, by not once going to her, by not once seeing her face. Foolishness, barked Lucius, though he was unable to hide his blanching face. Do you know why I'm here? I fail to exist until you fear me and respect me. But who is to say I am a god? I yearn to be god. No one but you, the most feared persons in the Ambassine. By the time I exit Mount Vish, you will admit I am your god. Algernon stepped forward, but he is no god. There is only one thing that will make this boy a god. It's not here. It's not among us. Rigor swiveled in Tisiphone's direction. There is someone you fear. Here. It's not your brother. It's not Sanford. Tisiphone, the witch, scowled. You should know not to speak your mind among magic wielders. Worse, expose their secrets. Rigor sidled up to Sanford the Sinister and, smart, and smirked. You did start the latest War of the Races. You did accomplish much, making the elves promise you impossible gifts, making the humans fight for you, making the dwarves pay you. You will fail to win the War of the Races that is to come. The wizard Christopher told me that truth before I killed him. Sanford began mustering another ball of flame, but Elginon swiftly intercepted it. It burrowed harmlessly into the floor. Sanford glowered at the child. You are no god. You are an elf, born of the full-blood elves. That is why you have come here. That is to rescue the elves? Maybe end the elves? Use our contempt for them to your advantage? Because we certainly do hate you, as much as anyone elf. Rigor snorted a contemptuous laugh. I have come here because of the impending wizard war, the one that will begin within these hallowed halls all within a fortnight. The one that will determine who will be the high wizard and who will be driven into exile. Who among you will be slain? Who will run for the islands and who will flee across the Lukex and conquer the peoples there? I alone know. Rigors hungrily looked to, ident to identify a victim behind each dull look, eyes locked on eyes, communicating defeat, conveying fear. There was a long, palpable silence. There was a, a smell to it, an accurate, as accurate as black smoke, the stench of a rotting corpse in the summer sun. Eventually, Clotus uttered nothing but a bunch of noise. I knew we should have killed him, acknowledged Sanford. He has come here, all to divide us, to make us mistrust one another. 
is the cause of this wizard war. Nobody else is. Clotus was clearly agitated. Who among us has sided with this god? Hasn't the war already begun? Who among us has sided with him? All the other magic wielders turned to Algernon, the high wizard, and listened attentively. He, garble he garbled, The child is only a child. He is no god. He knows things. That is true. We will make use of him to determine who our enemies are and how to destroy them. You must admit the elves would gain a lot with the corruption inside their own, our own fortress. If that means destroying every last elder elf, then so be it. Would not the elves welcome this wizard war? Then we will kill him, and that without shedding a drop of magic wielder blood. Then the wizard war will be won by us all. But Sanford was terrified. He pulled his wife Tiffany aside. Don't you know who that is, wanting to us to think he is a god? Tiffany turned to Sanford. The stony mask of fearlessness and of outrageousness having washed away, she suspected the liar had already approached Sanford. Maybe their son, too. Tisiphone scowled. She knew it. The three were in the know. They intended to make use of the knowledge to extort her. There was no escaping the glare of rigor. She had seen these eyes before. She silently complied, for she identified the individual that captivated and tortured all the magicians in the room. Would she be the first victim of the wizard war? I do not, replied Tisiphone. It is father. Christopher, come to destroy the three of us. We must kill him before he recruits the others to destroy us. We must hold him, not Algernon. We must. We will align with him until the wizard war is won by us, the four of us. Should we recruit others? queried his wife in a whisper. Like whom? The pair looked Felix's way, then at Jewel. Rigor winked at Tisiphone and smiled broadly. She approached her son, Belfasor. He tried to convince her. The means of ending this, this god, this threat to us, is held here. I know that. Apparently, there is one secret of mine he does not know. The means of defeating him. Tisiphone did not say what she was thinking. That, clearly, Belfasor and Sanford were on the side of the god. That concludes episode three of book three. Um, I should have uh, the next one available, the next, the next uh, installment uh, within a week's time. Thanks for listening, and have a good night.